Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. And do you love Jesus tonight? No, 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 no. Do you love Jesus tonight? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. We serve a risen God. Aren't you glad you serve a God that does not exist in stone or gold or metal, but is a living God here and active with you tonight? Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. Come on. Man, I am so excited to be with you guys. I apparently just lost my voice, Logan. I don't know what's up. (laughs) Hey, uh, I really believe that God has an incredible word for you tonight. And it's not because I'm speaking, but this is the reason. Uh, Logan and I go back, we go back, we're friends, had the opportunity to, man, be in a discipleship relationship with Logan for a while, and man, I want to let you guys know this, that what you're doing in this city matters, that what you're doing right here, it's not just coming to fill a seat, but I really believe this, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Do you believe that tonight? That God has something special for you, that he has something in store for you, and it's, here's the kicker, it's not for you. He has something in store for you for those that are far from him. And you may be in here tonight, you may be kicking the tires of Christianity, coming in saying, man, I can't believe I just darkened the doors of a church. But here I am because this friend was so annoying and they kept inviting me, right? And here you are tonight at a church. I just want to let you know this from the bottom of our heart and the pastors that are in this room, their heart, that they love you. And they're excited to usher you into a God that loves you too. And so I just want to give just a quick snippet of my story, just so you know a little bit about who I am. I'm actually a son of this house. I grew up here. Um, I was saved at the age of 26 years old as a captain in the United States Army. God radically transformed my life. I was a guy who was dealing with uh, anxiety. I was dealing with PTSD. I was dealing with massive anger issues. I was dealing with a porn addiction. And what God did in my life was radically transform it. He brought me into into his family. And what happened was nothing short of a miracle. And what God did was he said, hey, I'm going to put you in an environment here. And so six months into being saved, I found myself as a pastor at High Street. How many know that's a little bit intimidating, right? (laughs) It's like, what am I doing, Lord? I had never prayed in public before. (laughs) I was like, God, what are you doing with me? So if you ever feel underqualified, if you ever feel like, God, you can't use me, can I tell you, here's a joker up here who failed public speaking and who's standing up here in front of you. Hopefully that's not a a testament to what's going to happen tonight. (laughs) But I believe this with all my heart, that you're here for a purpose, that God has a plan for your life. And so this evening, are you ready to receive the word of God? Because this is what I need from you. We're not, I'm, I'm not from the church of the frozen chosen. Like, we, we talk back, okay? So here's the deal. When, that, when you hear something good, I want you to shout me down and amen me, because I'm going to speak better, and I'm going to go quicker, okay? So if you hear something you like, shout me down. But this is what I want you to know. In order for this word tonight to be effective, you've got to be prepared to receive it. I could give the absolute best word that you've ever heard in your life, but if your heart isn't ready to receive it, you're not going to hear a thing. And so this is my challenge for us tonight, that we would press in, not because Ben's on the stage, but I really believe it's that God wants to speak to you tonight. He wants to say something to you. My life was changed because of a guest services person, somebody who wrapped their arms around me and said, I love you, I've been praying for you, and we've been expecting you. And God, at the age of 26 years old, spoke to me and changed my entire life. So tonight, are you ready to receive? Come on, let's go. So if you got your Bible, let's go to 1 Kings chapter number 17. And we're going to take a look at the life of a lady out of Zarephath and a prophet by the name of Elijah. If you're with me tonight, say, I'm with you. All right. 
So to give a little bit of setup here, we are in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17. And to let you know what's happened at this point in time, King David is a guy who has brought all the tribes of Israel together. And he has gone out and he's taken all these little tribes and brought them together as a kingdom of God. And what we find is that after David's death, his son comes into power by the name of Solomon. And Solomon, according to the Bible, was the wisest, one of the richest people that ever existed on the face of the planet Earth. And God blessed him. But what happened in Solomon's life was that he started out really strong and it went downhill. He started out really, really well. He said, God, I'm going to follow you with my life. I'm going to live my life for you. And what we find is this, is that his life began to go downhill because he chose to do it his way. By the end of his life, the nation of Israel did not look like the kingdom of God that he had put in the books of Deuteronomy. If you go back and you're a Bible nerd, you can go back and read about that if you're like myself. But it doesn't, the nation of Israel doesn't look like what God's plan was. It looked like the nation of Egypt. And what God did after that point in time is that king after king would come and king after king would get a failing grade. It said that God said that they were not wise, that they did not live a life for God. And what happened was this, is that the nation of Israel began to spiral out of control so badly that just the chapter before, it says that this king, by the king of Ahab, one of his servants underneath him, it says that when they were building uh, this fortress, it said that this king sacrificed his own kids to get the blessing. How many know that it's gone so far downhill that the nation of Israel, which should be the light to the world, is now fallen into the practice of the pagans around them. They're sacrificing their own kids to get a blessing from a God of gold and silver. How many know that today, you and I, many of us still serve that same God? That so often in my life, I serve that God the God of, uh, of my potential, the God of, oh, God, if I can just get some more money, I would serve that God. I serve the God of, oh, man, if I can just achieve a little bit more, I would lay everything in my life down to get that appointment, to get that job promotion. But here they are, and here's this king. And we can look at it and say, how cruel, how ridiculous, but this is the state of the nation of Israel. And tonight, as we take a look, I want us to shift our focus to one of the most unlikely of heroes a widow, a lady who would have been pushed aside, cast out in society. How many know that God does his best work from those that are cast-offs? He does his best work from those who have been pushed and marginalized in society. He says, these are the people that I will use. So let's take a look. We're going to start in 1 Kings 17, starting in verse number 10. Follow along with me if you would. So he went to Zarephath, he being Elijah, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and shouted, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. 
For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of God had spoken to Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing, and she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah said. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he stayed, and he laid on his bed, and then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? How many know that sometimes we need to curse at God without cursing? Like we need to just get out all that's on our heart. Like when you bottle it up and you say, no, I'm not going to say anything. How many know that God wants to hear what you're going through? Elijah, a man of God, a prophet of God, cries out to God. He says, why are you doing this? Many of us, I think, here today need to have permission to cry out to God, to say, God, why why am I going through this? Elijah, he, he cries out three times. He says, Lord, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. The boy's life returned to him and he lived. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this moment, these moments that we get to share together. Father, I I pray for this group of people, God, that you would speak to us tonight in a powerful way. God, I pray that you would get me out of the way. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Show us, God, your son, Jesus. Show us your love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So here is Elijah, right? This is a mouthpiece, the man of God. And God has him living in a river. And God calls to him, he says, arise, go, Elijah, and I want you to go to a city. Now, Elijah has been out in the wilderness for a long time. And I want to let you know that if you're out in the wilderness for more than a day, you got a little stank on you, okay? You're smelling a little bit gross, right? I like to live a little bit of a bougie lifestyle. And Elijah here, he's not having it. And so God calls him. He says, arise, Elijah, go on out, and I want you to go to a city. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, yes, please. Thank you very much. I come from the military, but when God said, Ben, I want you to start a church in a city, I said, thank you, Jesus. And I went to the city. Elijah, no doubt, is probably thinking the same thing. Thank you, God. I know that you cared for me with ravens, and I know that they brought me food day after day after day, but I am looking forward to going to the city. God says, arise, Elijah. It's time to go to the city. And of course, if you're Elijah, you're probably wondering, okay, God, where where are we going? He says, I have a widow prepared to meet your needs. Now, if you're like me, you're probably sitting there thinking, wow, okay, like she's got to be coming from some money. Right, like this, this lady's probably got a fountain in the front, a pool in the back, a G-Wagon in the garage, right? Come on, somebody. Like, we're going to live in the high life right now. This is great. Elijah's like, yes, someone to care for me. I love it. This is awesome. And so he shows up, right? Expectations are high. Where is she, God? I'm looking for her. Where is the widow? And you can imagine he rolls up on the scene and he begins to look and he begins to pray. He's at the city gate. God, where is she? I'm here at Zarephath. Where is she? I'm looking for the lady in in purple, right? Like, because she's wearing royalty. Because this is who we expect God to prepare the way for us. This is where we get our provision. No doubt, Elijah shows up and he says, God, where is she? And all of a sudden, out comes a woman with some bony knees, right? She's hobbling out there. And Elijah looks at her and he goes, oh, surely not, right? Surely, not, not her, Lord. Here she comes out, all bony kneed and all, she comes walking out there, and she starts to gather some sticks. Now, in one of the translations, it says this. It says that she gathered two sticks. 
How many know if you're counting sticks that you're poor? <laughs> like she's counting. She's like, I got two sticks. That's more than the one stick woman down the street, right? She's counting sticks. She's over here saying, man, I don't have a whole lot, but what I got, I'm going to keep track of. I'm counting. And so she's counting these sticks, and Elijah sees her, and God speaks to him. He says, you see that woman over there, Elijah? He's like, oh, yeah, I see her. He goes, I know where you're going with this, Lord, but I don't like it. He goes, that's the one. There she is. Have you ever come into a season of your life and thought, Lord, I'm ready. It's time for breakthrough. This is the season, God. I know it. He's Mr. Right. You walk into that season, you're like, oh, good Lord. Is that really him? Surely not. God calls Elijah. He says, I want you to go to the city. And he gives him someone that can't provide for herself. You realize how ridiculous that is? God sends Elijah to a woman so that she can provide for him, but yet she can't provide for herself. How many seasons have you and I walked into expecting God to do some sort of breakthrough, and when we showed up at the point of breakthrough, all we saw was a barrier? God, what is going on? What is this? This is not what I expected. And Elijah shows up on the scene. He sees this skinny, knobby-kneed woman, and he's like, that's her. That's where she's at. No doubt Elijah is there waiting for the promise, and instead he gets a problem. But I want you to see what happens here. You see, God is somebody that's not like you and me. How many of you know that, aren't, let me ask you this, aren't you glad that God does not call the qualified? But what God will do is he will call those that are down and out. He'll call those that are desperate for him. I wonder, are there some desperate people in here tonight that you're desperate to see God do something in your life? That you're desperate to see God do something in your family? That you're desperate to see God do something in your sorority, in your fraternity, on your floor? Man, are there some desperate people here tonight? I mean, I just got to know. Because God isn't going to move unless we get desperate. So long in my life, I began to seek God. The only time that it would happen would be when the circumstances around me dictated my desperation. How many have been there before? Like all of a sudden you're out of finances. Or all of a sudden like something happens and there's a breakup. God, where are you at? And God is saying this, he's saying, I don't, want your, I don't want your desperation to be dictated by your circumstances. I want you to cultivate a spirit of desperation. He says, if you want to know what I love, I love people that seek after me. Elijah shows up, and what he sees is a problem. Here's this woman who's here who can't even take care of herself. I wonder, how many other widows were in the nation of Israel? You see, because when God calls Elijah, get this, God doesn't call Elijah to the nation of Israel. He doesn't call Elijah to the nation of Judah. He calls him out to go to get this to the very home of the woman trying to hunt him down. Her name is Jezebel. He says, I want you to go outside of the nation of Israel to the city of Zarephath. You see, there were no God believers there. This is where the prophet of Baal was. This is the same spot where the child's sacrifice was happening. He says, this is where I want you to go. I wonder how many widows were passed up because they weren't desperate to see God do something in their life. How many widows were not used by God because they weren't desperate? Here's a woman that's desperate. And guess what? God will take your desperation wherever you start. He'll take your desperation however it comes. And he says here, he says, this is the one that I want you to use, Elijah. 
This is the one. I want you to write this if you're taking notes tonight. I've got three points tonight that I believe will help you when you look at your problem to see it as a promise. Number one is this, is that tension makes room for provision. Say it to your neighbor with some attitude. Tension makes room for provision. Say it again with some attitude. Tension makes room for provision. Oh, you got it now. Now say to your other neighbor, your second choice. Say, I'm so sorry I chose you second. I don't disqualify you like that. But tension makes room for provision. Look what happens here in verse number 10. Elijah asks this. He says, he brings this woman to him. He says, come here, come here. And he says, would you, look at this, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? How ridiculous is that? This lady has nothing. It's in the middle of a drought. It's in the middle of a famine. There's no food anywhere. And Elijah comes and he demands on her demand. You ever felt like you're in a pressure cooker with God? Like you're in that spot and it's tough and it's difficult and it's tight. And you're like, God, what are you doing? And God will do these moments where he says, I'm going to demand on the very area that you find pressure. How many know that if you're going through a tense, tough situation tonight that you are not alone? That God has this propensity to demand on your demand. Verse number 10, Elijah says this. He says, come here. I know you have nothing. I know you're feeling stressed, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to get me a drink. Now, how many of you would be offended by that? Like, think about this. You roll up in downtown Springfield. You roll up at the bus station, and you see a homeless person, and you're like, hey, come here, come here, come here. You're rolling up in your G6, right? Like, come on, come on, come on. That's a Pontiac G6, y'all. I'm not that bougie. <laughs> come here, come here, come here. Hey, you got a few bucks? I got to go to Starbucks. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? He demands on her demand. What is he thinking? Elijah, what, what are you doing? You're, you're asking this woman to give you something that she doesn't have. And he says, no, no, no. I want you to get this. I want you to demand. God will put you in positions of pressure to bring diamonds out of you. Your faith will not grow in comfort. Your faith will not flourish in a point where you are just getting through. How many know that if you want to see God do something in your life, and I'm not even from here, but I'm going to plug it anyway, that you need to get involved, that you need to plant yourself in the house of God, that you need to put yourself down and say with two feet, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm burning the ships behind me, I'm jumping in, and I'm going to be all that I can be in the Lord's army. Come on. <laughs> When you jump in, this is what happens, is that you say, God, I'm depending on you. Psalm chapter, or Psalm chapter 1, it says this, that those that are planted beside the river, it says they produce fruit and their leaves flourish. You wonder why you're not flourishing. It's because you're not planted. You haven't planted yourself. Can I just encourage you? And he didn't ask me to say this, Logan or Coco. I'm just saying, if you'll plant yourself here, if you'll plant yourself in this young adult ministry, can I tell you that your life will make an, an impact and a difference far beyond your life right here? That one day you'll stand before God and you won't even have yourself to bring. You'll just look behind you and say, God, I didn't have anything. I couldn't even bring myself because others brought me. But look who I brought. This is my gift to you. You see, when you plant yourself, you can change the destiny of those around you. Elijah demands on her demand. He has the audacity 
to ask her for a drink. You see, it's in these seasons of tension that God will show his provision through your faith. You see, it couldn't have been a miracle unless there was a demand. It would not have been a faith moment for this woman if she had just been able to coast through. God had to put her in a position of pressure to show his promise. I want to speak to somebody here this morning that you're going through a tough time and you're questioning God. Believe me, we ought to wrestle with our faith. I have more questions now as a lead pastor than I ever did before I came to Christ about him and the Bible. I'm all for questioning it. But can I tell you this? This is a point that I want you to get tonight. That if you're going through a season of pressure, if you're coming from a past of pain, how many know this, that God will use the very pain that you had in your past to put you on a platform for your purpose? God will do something in your life that you thought, that's the thing that I want to hide. That's the thing that I can't tell people about. That abuse that I went through, that destruction that I went through, all that stuff I don't want to share with, that's the very thing that God will use in your life. And until you're willing to step in, get planted, and realize that maybe, just maybe, this pressure that I'm feeling is promise that's going to be revealed. Turn to your neighbor and say, buckle up. Buckle up. I'm just getting hyped tonight, Logan. I'm sorry. I'm so far off my notes. I don't even know where I'm going. And there's some of you that you're going through an emotional lack right now, a season of singleness. Some of you are going through financial drought. And what God will do is this. Let's just say it's financial drought. What God will do is he'll ask you to radically give, to sacrificially give. You may be going through a season of emotional lack, and God's going to say, I want you to serve and love radically. You're like, you're demanding on me. You may come in broken, and God's saying, that's the very spot that I want to use. You see, people will not follow people that are right, but they'll follow people that are real. If you want to impact this community, if you want to impact your friends, it's not if you're right. It's not if you can spit theology. I've got a seminary degree. But when you're real, when you share the burdens that you've gone through and how good Jesus is in the midst of it, people love that and they find it attractive. Here's what I want you to see. Many times the very thing that's standing in our way is the very thing that God is using to have us look his way. That barrier, that mountain, that moment, that's the moment that God wants to use. I wonder, are you a person that's going to look to God and say, God, I trust you? I find myself uh, asking this of God all the time in seasons of frustration. I'll ask God, I'll say, God, there's a mountain in front of me. How many here, just being bold tonight, you've got a mountain in front of you. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an emotional mountain, a friendship mountain, right, a relational, financial. You've got a mountain in front of you. Can we, bold, we be bold enough tonight? Let's lift them up. I want you to see this. You are not alone. Who knew? There's a mountain in front of you. And this is what I know about our God, is that so often I find myself in my prayer life praying this. I say, God, move the mountain. I am all for that prayer. I pray that prayer. But many times God slowly, quietly whispers to me. He says, Ben, I'll move the mountain, but first I want to move the mountain in you. First, I want to change the thing inside of you. And I find myself saying this. I say, God, you exist outside of time and space. You have perspective far beyond my years. God, I'm humbling myself to say, I see a mountain in front of me. I see that I'm under pressure in this moment right here. And God, all I know is I can't stay here. So either move the thing in front of me or move the thing inside of me. But either way, it's got to go. Either way, I've got to change. How many knows God will answer that sort of prayer? He'll answer that prayer. 
Because this is what type of prayer it is. It's real. It's raw. It's saying, God, I still humble myself to you, but I'm demanding, I'm begging, I'm pleading that you would do something. Point number, well, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me go here. I've got this. This is all based off of my devotional this week, so I'm sorry. It's all over the place. Sorry, Logan. Verse number 11. Let me go here. Elijah says this. As she was going to get it, being the water, he called to her, and he demands even more from her. Again, we're in a famine. We're in a drought. And he says, hey, woman, would you get me a piece of bread? Now look at her response. As surely as the Lord lives, I don't have any bread only a handful of flour and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks at home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it. And then what? What was it? So she's eating food for substance to live and her thought process is what? Is death. She's eating food to live and her thought process is death. How many of us come here, we eat spiritual food to live, and then our mindset when we walk out these doors is death? We eat spiritual food to live, and I walk out the door, and I say, God, you can't do anything for me. God, I'm so frustrated. God, I'm bearing uh, all this weight. What are you going to do in my life? God, my life is miserable. Her mindset had to change. How many know a poverty mindset doesn't change with money? A mindset that is around poverty. Spiritual poverty is not changed by the circumstances that you're in, it's changed by the food that you eat. God is saying to this woman, he says, this is what I want you to realize, that it's not about the food that you eat, it's about the mindset that you have. God is asking some people here today to change your mindset. Yes, there is a barrier in front of you, but the way that you see the barrier is all dictated on the God that you know. You see, if I don't know God, the barrier is the biggest thing in my life. But if I realize that there is a God that far exceeds everything that I could imagine, this barrier is nothing. Because the barrier has nothing to do with my strength. The barrier has everything to do with the God that I serve. God, I know that I'm in a season of singleness, and I know that I'm frustrated, and I know that I'm looking for Mr. Right or, or Mrs. Right, and I'm frustrated about it. But God, you see the barrier in front of me, but you're big enough. You're sovereign enough to position me in a spot where my life can be changed. You see, this is what I know. Don't waste, don't waste your season of singleness. There's many singles in here tonight. And the very prayer that you're praying is this, is that God, he's the one. I want him, Lord. How many of you are glad that God didn't answer all those prayers? <laughs> Woo, thank you, Jesus. Don't waste your season of singleness. How many know that when you sow, that you don't reap in the same season? You're wasting a season of singleness on frustration, anxiety, depression. You're wasting a, single of season, a season of singleness on being unfaithful to what God is calling you to. Don't waste your season because this is what I know. What you sow in this season, you'll reap in the next. God is saying, I want to bless you. So I'm going to put you in a season of singleness so that I can prune you to get you to not just have a checklist for Mr. Right, but to ask this question, are you the person you're looking for is looking for? The only way that you can be that person is if you go through a season of pruning. Don't waste your season. There's some of you here that are in financial stress and hardship. Money isn't going to solve the issue. What God is saying is this, put my priority first. If you'll put me first, I'll change your mindset. A poverty mindset is not changed by circumstances. It's changed from the inside out. I wonder, are you desperate this evening for what God is going to do? 
See, God, he shows up here and he says, Elijah, this is what I want you to tell this woman. Look in verse number 13. He says, don't be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. You see, she kind of talks back to Elijah. She's like, hey, yo, 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 like, I know that you're asking me for bread. I know you're asking me for a, a, a loaf here. But this is what I want you to know. This is my last meal. And I'm gathering these sticks to have my last meal. And, and what I'm telling you is this, is that we only have enough for the two of us. God has this way about him where he says, if you'll put your faith in me, and this is what I want you to see. Look what it says right after, right after verse 13. Go home, do as I have said, but first, but first, Make a small loaf of bread for me. Touch your neighbor and say, first things first. First things first. Point number two is this, is that the miracle is in the mandate. The miracle is in the mandate. It's not just that she gave to the prophet. It's that she gave what? What did she? Last? First. She gave first. She didn't just give, she gave first. It wasn't like she said, oh, I'm going to bake this meal, and then you can have the leftovers. You can have the crumbs. No, no, no. She said, I'm going to put your principles and priorities first. I'm going to give to the man of God first. First things first. You see, what God is saying here is this. You're looking for a miracle, and God is having you fix your focus on his mandate. We're looking for the promise of God, and God is saying, you're not following the principles of God. You want to you do it my way, you're going to find the blessing in another season. You're going to sow into the season, and you're going to find a harvest in the next. So often what we do is we say, God, I want the promise. I want it, God. And what God is saying is, you're not following the premise. God, I want the miracle. God is saying, you're not following the mandate. How many know here that you're praying every single day, God, I want to be anxiety-free. How many here could use some, uh, some less anxiety this week, right? A little less stress? Can I ask you this question? When do you pray? We have these bands at our church. It's super cheesy. DJ's on the front row or wherever he's at now. Where's DJ at? There he is. We got these old bands on. It says pray first. It's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because I need a reminder. Oh, yeah, Ben, pray first. Like before I send my kids off to school, we pray first. Before I go and I talk to my wife about a difficult topic, I pray first. Before I send an email, I pray first. Before I respond to an email, I pray first, right? God is saying, put the principle. If you put the principle first, Ben, you'll find my promise. You wonder why you've got anxiety. It's because we don't put God first. Many of you are wondering, how come I can't seem to get my finances in order? Can I encourage you to give God his first? You're like, I don't make anything. Can I tell you, as a captain in the army making six figures, that when I first wrote a check for 10%, I about lost my mind. My God, are you kidding me? My wife's over there just gleaming. She's loving it. My wife is a superstar, by the way. Like, I came to faith because of her. She's over there like, Ben, we need to tithe. And I'm like, I've never seen a number that big given to anyone other than me. Like, what are we doing? And we begin to give first. And what I found was this, is that I didn't have a budget. You see, when I begin to give, it made me have to think, what is 10%? Don't look at me. Don't judge me up here. Come on now. I'm like, what is my budget? I got to give 10%. How much is that? Oh, and now I guess I got to save 10% and I'll live on 80. I live by this 10, 10, 80 rule. Well, in order to give 10%, you got to know what you have. I mean, how many people are going through life? You don't have, know what you have. I once had a soldier of mine who came to me and he said, uh, Captain Shank, hey, I'm, I'm all good. I was like, how you doing financially? He's like, I'm doing great. I was like, why? He said, I've got a checkbook. 
said, you know you got to have money in the bank to be able to spend on the checkbook. He goes, no, you can just write whatever you want. They take it. <laughs> you got to know. Put the principles of God first. You see, God is so smart. He knows, he knows, he knows that when you put his principles first, that his promises will follow. Man, if you pray first, <clears throat> if you tithe first, see, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. I wonder if your season, if you're putting the principles of God first. You see, this woman, she put all of it first. It wasn't just that she gave, she gave first. I wonder what God is speaking to you tonight to put him first in your life. The last point is this, is the stretch produces strength. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says this, she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. Now I'm sure she would have liked a stockpile of bread. I'm sure she would have loved a full barn full of meal. But what God did was something different. You see, strength is only produced in the stretch. I'm sure she was hoping for barrels of overflow, but what she got instead was handfuls of potential. See, you and I, we pray for fists full of bread, and God gives us jars full of potential. You see, he gave her just enough. Every day her faith had to be stretched. Just like the children of Israel, when they got manna for the day and then the worms came afterward. He's trying to give us a lesson here. He's saying, would you stretch? Because when you stretch, it produces strength. How many know that when you work out, you're tearing your muscles? You're literally ripping your muscles. And when you stretch, when you strain, when you tear, they build back stronger. Faith is just like this. God is saying, when you stretch, when I put you in seasons of stretching, it isn't because I hate you. It isn't because I'm against you. It isn't because I'm not for you. It's because I want to strengthen you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And we come back to the very beginning from what I said this, more, or this evening was this, is that God has a plan, a purpose for your life. That God has placed potential inside of each of you. And here's what I know, that if you're going through a stretching season, a crushing season, a season of pressure, it's because God has great things in store for you. That when you continue to stretch, just like this lady, she stretches back. And every day, she had to believe that God was going to come through. This is who I want to talk to this evening as we get ready to close. Is that I want to talk to some people that you're not running over, but you haven't run out. That you're here tonight, maybe hanging on by a string. And that God is saying this tonight, that just hold on. To just keep stretching. Because what we know is this, is that this lady, day after day after day, she began to be stretched. He is all, she, he, she, like, he, this whole meal, this whole bread, this whole thing, like, it may not be all that I want, but Jesus, you're all that I need. I know that I may not like the season that I'm in, but Jesus, I know that you're all that I need. When I fix my focus on the one that is my true example, when he is my true satisfaction, what you find is this, is that God will absolutely satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. That when you stretch, that God begins to provide strength. <clears throat> now you think that the story would end and that there would be this great miracle and that things would just go awesome. 
But look what happens here at the very end, verse number 17. <coughs> it said that sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became very ill. Now, if you're like me, you're probably wondering, God, what are you doing? Like, this is a lady who stretched and stretched and stretched. She kept trusting in you. She kept believing in the prophet of God. Because remember, she's not an Israelite. She's, she's not from the house of Judah. This is a lady that's far from God. You may be far from God here tonight. I was far from God just six years ago. This lady was far from God. And God brought a man of God into her life. And you think that it would go well because she's, she's honoring God. She's showing up to church. She's doing her thing. She's giving some money. Right? She's helping out the homeless. God, you're going to bless me. But you know what happens instead? It says that her son becomes sick and ill. Now, how many know that that's so often what happens in our life? God, I choose to follow you. You're so good, God. I'm going to follow. And you show up and here comes a barrier. God, I'm trusting you in this season. I'm believing that you are who you say you are, God. And you come out and you show up and you're like, this is the season of breakthrough. And something dies. A dream dies. A relationship dies. A piece of her heart dies. This lady was no different. She's following God, doing things God's way. She may not know God, but she's doing it his way, putting the priority first. And it says that her son becomes ill and sick and he dies. And Elijah takes this boy, and it says that Elijah came and he, he took him from her arms. It's the, that dead thing. I wonder how long she was holding her son. I wonder how long you've been holding on to that dead thing in your life, that dream, that vision that you have for where you would be at this point, that relationship that you thought you'd have, that career that you thought you would be in. She's holding on to the dead thing. There's some of you that you, you've been holding on to the dead thing for way too long. She's holding on. You can just imagine the tears flowing down her face, the, the grip of her hands around her son. This is, this is my boy. And I did it your way, God. Why is this happening? Why are you doing this to me? And Elijah, it says that he shows up and he takes the dead thing. He takes the boy from her arms and he brings him upstairs and he begins to stretch he begins to cry out to God. He says, God, why have you done this? And he cries out. It says three times. And what God does is nothing short of an absolute miracle. It says that he brings the dead thing. He brings the boy back to life. He brings him back to life. How many know that God would provide for the widow through the prophet just the same way that God would provide through the prophet through the widow? You see, it's in the very spot that you stretch that God begins to show his strength. 850 years later, after this story, there would be a man who would also walk up to a city gate, just like Elijah. And at that city gate, he would encounter a widow and he would encounter a dead son. And instead of stretching, instead of screaming, Instead of crying out, this man would walk up to this widow. He would look her in the eye and say, the dead thing that's in here, I'm going to bring it back to life. 
So often I beg God to bring to life my dead thing, but it's the very dead thing inside of me that God wants to bring to life. So often I pray, God, would you heal this? God, would you deliver this? Would you move the mountain over here? Would you move the barrier over there? And God is saying, I've come to do that inside of you. You see, there's somebody here tonight that you showed up and God is saying to you that the dead thing that's been dead for so long, now tonight, it's time to come to life that you've been dragged here by a friend, that you've come here for a purpose, and I want you to hear that the God of the universe is passionately seeking after you. He's coming after you like a father. It said that Jesus would leave the 99 and he would come after the one. I want you to know that you're the one here tonight, that you are not a lost cause, that you are not unqualified, that you don't belong here. I want you to know this, that there is a God that loves you so much that he would position you in this spot at this night for this purpose to bring the dead thing in your life back to life. He comes for you. He so loves you. He would have a, a crazy dude with a lost voice. I don't know where it is, Logan, somewhere out in Texas. Travel all the way up here to talk to you tonight about how much God loves you. Because I believe this, that there's so much more. That your life is just about ready to begin. Thank mm -hmm. you.